kept really quiet. Good morning. Yeah. It's certainly good morning. And you know what? Um, I'm thinking, as um, I was actually thinking as we were driving to uh, worship this morning, and you know, you look out the fields and all the grass and the trees and everything is all brown and turning brown or it's already dead. And you you look at that and you go, boy, things are just just dying. And then I think of what I was going to be doing that has full of life. And I was thinking, we don't ever want our church to be that way. We don't want it. It doesn't have to turn brown and die out, does it? We want to be full of vigor and life. You guys have life today? Do you have life? <laughs> Good, all right. That's what I like. And anyway, I know that uh, God has blessed us. And uh, so I always look forward ever, every Sunday and, uh, to get together here and do this. As I always say that, but uh, I really mean it. Because it's worshiping God and it's ministry. And we all are here um, to minister. Above all, we worship. But uh, we've been continuing here in uh, Colossians of the theme of ministry. And... Uh, we gaze into Apostle Paul and his ministry. What a ministry he had. I mean, this is a perfect ministry, isn't it? Uh, what Paul has. And we get to see as he just opens up everything and we get to look and gaze into the very character of Paul's thinking of his ministry, of his character. We get to see the character of Paul quite frequently as he talks about his ministry and his care and concern for uh, the people. And uh, that is exhibited for us. It's modeled for us to uh, see as an example. And I think it's for all the church of all time for the, the last 2,000 years. And right here today, it's a great model for us, isn't it? As we look at his ministry, we can say, hey, we too, each one of us, has a ministry. And so what uh, we had looked at last week, uh, this should reiterate to us how our attitudes are to be as far as uh, ministry, the call that we have, the subject of our ministries, the proclamation, and the very purpose of it all. Um, That's what we talked about last week. And you know, our call is to serve, and that's the highest call possible, to serve the people of God, and the people who don't know God. And I can't think of anything higher than that. That's an incredible call. That's what we have. I think it's a magnificent privilege to be a minister of the Gospel. And I I couldn't think of anything better. So if we move into chapter 2 now, it flows right from chapter 1. And even though you have a chapter break there, 1 and then into 2, uh, just to remind us, those chapter breaks and, and verses, numbers, are not inspired. Okay, That's the only time you're going to say anything about in the Word of God where I say it's not inspired. The Word of God is inspired. These were added many, many years, uh, centuries later, uh, to help us. And they do help us, the, the numbers and the verses. Aren't you glad they're there? Well, otherwise, we'd say somewhere about halfway uh, in the middle of the letter here, I want you to turn there. You know, isn't it great we have the, the, the numbers and, and the chapters? But what happens sometimes, unfortunately, is we think, okay, there's a break there. Now we start something new. 
And sometimes that can be. Uh, and much of the time it is. And this occasion, when we move from chapter 1 to chapter 2, there is really no break. And so don't think of, oh, now we have to go into something uh, different because that's not, not the case. Uh, it's just flowing out of what verse 29 said, for this purpose also I labor, striving according to His power which mightily works within me. Labor, striving. And as he goes into verse 1, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. Uh, he's doing the same thing. He's just he's just more or less repeating that and keeping that same flow going. Now, what what should strike us here this morning is the heart of Paul in his ministry. We we title this a heart for the church. Paul had quite a heart for that and what he did in serving other Christians. And this time, as he mentions his heart for them, uh, remember. These are people he has never even met, or at least most of them. He doesn't know who they are. He's never been there. He didn't start the church there. And so he sends a letter to them without even knowing them. And I think that's rather in, incredible, but Christians can do that and, uh, and feel right at home with them. I think what we see here is we see what makes Paul tick. And boy, does he have concerns for the church, for the body of Christ. And he let people come in and take a look at him to see his very agony. We see the agony of Paul. We see the desires of Paul. We get to see the emotions of Paul. He just lets it out. And he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write those down. And so it's good to know that Paul is not some theological blockhead up in some seminary, but no, he gets down on the same level and into the trenches with all the rest of the people. And, uh, and that's what he is. He's a person too. And he truly loved the church. And he was willing to give his life for it. And we know many times that he nearly died. He came so close. But you know what? This really should portray the life of any minister. Being willing to give up their life. To have such a love for the church. And uh, that's, that's what I so desire to have and I, I think I really do I, I, I love uh, the people in this church I love the rest of the body of Christ um, I can't think of any other group of people I'd rather be around than my, my fellowship and knowing other Christians hey I got love back alright the beauty of that is, is great because when you get to love somebody and then they love you and, and it just it abounds and it just keeps going further, further that's the way it works and that's the way that Paul is mentioning uh, here in this this little section of these first five verses I think that's probably the most important quality that a minister can possess and I, I think all Christians for that matter I don't think anybody can truly serve God in the church without that kind of motivation. Because if we don't have that motivation, then what else is it? Is it money? Is it is it uh, just being able to know people? Uh, you know, whatever that those motivations are, they are not the ones. It's it's for love for those people. So Paul has a love for the people, and it causes him to write to them this letter and reflect. His love for Christ and His love for them. So we're going to get a great deal of insight into the heart of Paul as he's speaking about his struggle 
about his very desires, also his warning that he gives them, and the joy that he has because of them and as they are being obedient and growing stronger. That, that's really the outline of, of the whole uh, passage here. Um, and not only should we gain insight about who Paul is and what he's doing here, but what it really should do is get us to learn better how to serve the church in our own ministry. And then, so we delve into this passage and that it can do that. Um, why don't we uh, stand up, stretch just for a moment, and let's read those five verses. Paul's heart for the church. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ Himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in the body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this Word. Thank You for the Spirit. And we, we truly understand what You have for us here today as You speak through Your Word and Spirit. Amen. You can be seated and uh, we go right into verse 1. As you turn into your Bible, or you already have them open. And he says, For I want you to know. I want you to caution. Just coming right off that verse 29 now. I want you to know this. How great a struggle. Not a little struggle or some struggle. It's a great struggle. And the word there is agon. And the reason I say verse 1 just comes right after 29 is that's the way it's placed there, although they have numbers. But another thing, we noticed that word before, um, agon, in verse 29. And we said that word means in the English, agony, agony, (laughs) agony, strenuous effort, Striving. It was used for the Olympic Games at that time when people would train and then compete. They would be boxers. They would be wrestlers. They would strain. They would agonize. They would put strenuous effort in their foot racing. Okay, All the, those Olympic Games, they would have to put a tremendous effort. They would put every ounce in there to win the game. Or to win whatever they were uh, in the event for. So this term is really familiar to us. And so we've seen it. It was last week we talked about it. The word struggle here, um, and that's that's the agon. You can think of Second Corinthians chapter eleven, and um, there we know that he talks about all the different things that he went through. This, these are just physical things. So we can start with that. What kind of physical strain? What strenuous effort? Spiritual effort? What kind of things were happening to him as he was striving? Well, he was under persecution. There were riots. There were beatings. There were stonings. There were shipwrecks. There were dangers. There was labor. Even caring for the church. And these are all mentioned in the Second Corinthians chapter 11 passage. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he was... He was knocked down, but he was never destroyed. Right? Now, he went through some things that we will never, ever, probably ever go through. And so there are a lot of, of struggles there we know that's in Paul's life, right? 
But I want to tell you what I think. And I believe I'm right here. And I'll get some scriptures with it. Those are struggles. But I think there's one that's even greater. I think maybe the greatest struggle, you guys would probably identify with this, because you do it every day. It's called prayer. We struggle in prayer. And there is not one here that doesn't. And I'll tell you what, it will relieve you to know that we all have a struggle in prayer. He wrestled in prayer for them. This is where the real fight is. This is where there is a real hard battle. I think it's the greatest of the struggles. Agon. And that can mean even sleepless nights. Empathizing, just struggling in prayer. If you turn over to Colossians 4.12, I can show you why I think that maybe he's mentioning prayer here. Or it's definitely a part of it. I can say that. Colossians 4.12, there was a guy by the name of Epaphras. Remember him? Paul mentions him near the end of the letter and he says it's Epaphras, who is one of your number. He's one of your guys. He's the one that brought the gospel to you. Remember him? Right? He's the one that's bringing this letter to you, by the way. He says, a bond slave of Jesus Christ sends you his greetings. Oh, look at this. Always. Laboring earnestly. Laboring earnestly. Not just laboring, but earnestly for you in what? In his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. That's what, that's what Paul was saying in our section. He was laboring earnestly for them in his prayers. There is the real struggle. Because it's hard. Look in Ephesians 6.18. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. Pray at all times. With this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So when you pray, you be praying for all the saints. Think of all the people in this church. Think of all the other people that are your relatives or people uh, that uh, you know who are Christians. And pray for all of them. Then you start praying for all the people that are lost. And it's hard to keep that continuity going because all sorts of interruptions will come your way as you're praying for these saints and they need your prayer. And we fizzle out. And my point is not to make you feel guilty here. I'm just saying this happens and, and it, it's a hard thing. It's a hard ministry uh, to pray. Romans 15.30 This is one of the best ministries each one of us has. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive, to agonize, Right? to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. You pray. We all pray. We strive together as we pray. Individually, together. Right? Wow. Join me in my struggle in praying. (laughs) That's what Paul's saying. Join me in my struggle. This whole struggle that's going on. Prayer is the front line of the battle. People say, well, I don't have much of a ministry. You know, I just don't do anything. I'd like to. I don't know. What do you want me to do? What am I supposed to do? Right here is the biggest call that we have. 
It starts with this. There are other things. But I'm telling you, all Christians are going to be praying and they're in battle and they're right on the front lines as they battle. You know what? There are old ladies who have prayed and revivals have started because of their prayer and intense prayers. Do you know there are people we will never ever know that uh, the, as they struggled in prayer that uh, great things have happened in, in Christ. You know, um, Spurgeon's Church in London back in the 1800s. Did you know down below the church, even though they had thousands coming there, I mean literally thousands, what a ministry that they had there. But underneath that church, as he was preaching the Word of God to them in an expository way, one verse each Sunday. That's what he would do. One verse. (laughs) And he expounded upon that. Underneath, were hundreds of people praying. For there were many lost people that came into that church to hear Spurgeon preach the Gospel. And he preached the Gospel. He preached grace. And he preached mercy of God. He preached hell. He preached judgment. He carried the whole gamut. He preached the law. And he always offered the good news. And there were people praying. And that's why there was such a successful ministry. Fight the good fight, Paul said. And he was saying that in prison. What can he do in prison? Well, he can write. He can pray. (laughs) And it's what he did. He fought that fight. I'm sure there were many times that he longed to get out of jail. You know, he knew that God was using that and, and uh, his attitude was great. But don't you know, he was human. There were times that he would love to have been out of there. And matter of fact, when he heard the Colossians were being presented false truth, false things along with truth, that he would really like to have gone there and straightened them out himself. But no, he couldn't do that. God says, I got it. It's alright. It's alright. We think sometimes God really needs us. <laughs> he doesn't need any of us. But He uses us. And He can use us in big ways. Small ways, it doesn't matter. To Him, it's for His glory. And so, Paul struggled in prison as he knows these people in Colossae are being challenged with some things. And I'm sure Paul is saying, Lord, what am I doing here? I'm sure he probably thought of those things. But then immediately, you know, it was kind of like David in the Psalms. But then ever, whenever he got his mind back in on the right thinking, then, oh, he said, oh yeah, but here's what the whole deal is about. Uh, and it's not wrong to be wanting to get out of there. Uh, but yeah, he wants to defend the Gospel. So he struggled by the means of prayer. There was another person that we know very well who struggled in prayer. His name was Jesus. If you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane. He struggled so much. What came out of him? Blood. As he sweated. The tears and the blood. Agonizing. Prayer. Jesus struggled in prayer. He even said, Father, if this cup can be taken away, can you, can you do it? What a struggle he had. Hey folks, that brings it down to our level. Man, do we ever struggle in prayer? And sometimes... I feel so little after I've, I've said some prayer and it's like I couldn't think of any other thing or some other thoughts came to my mind and as I was talking to the Lord, I went over there and started thinking something else. <laughs> Has anybody ever done that? 
Well, that makes me feel better. I don't like it when that happens, but I want to tell you, the biggest attack by the enemy is in our prayer life. Because he wants to take us away from that prayer. We don't do as well as we ought in prayer. You know, it's easy. It's not that easy, but it's easy to sit down and read the Word of God. And you might say, well, what did I just read? <laughs> that can happen sometimes. That happened to you guys? And, man, you got to read, read back over and go, what? And, uh, you know. Or sometimes you just read and read and read and you go, oh man, this is great. You just can't get enough, you know. But prayer is harder because there's nothing to look at. You're worshiping God and Spirit and truth and you're thinking of Scriptures and that's the best way to, to be in prayer. You start with Scriptures and you go with that. You meditate off of that. It really helps. And I want to tell you, it's normal because we fight against the flesh. There was a guy by the name of Hallowsby. He wrote a book on prayer. I'll read a sentence here. Not very long. Instinctively, the evil one comes and takes the flesh and mobilizes it for attack by even wanting us to pray. The enemy wanting us to pray, but delaying it. I'll pray later. I'll get that. I'll remember that. I'll remember. But I've got to do this now. My mind will be more collected and calm later. So I've got to do this thing first. Rather than... Maybe sometime we have to send a real quick missile to the Lord. Oh, Lord, uh, you know, I need help here. And then move, move on. You know. um, and the, sometimes those are more effective than even the long prayers. But sometimes the mind just becomes distracted. Time rolls on. You find out you didn't even have time for the prayer. You forgot about it and you didn't pray. Everything tries to prevent you from prayer. The telephone rings and you're on the phone for a few hours or television or the computer. You know, it can be a thousand things that are just fine, that are really good, that are good. It's okay. And and if it's somebody that's calling you up or something, they don't know that. I mean, what you do say, hey, don't call me anymore, I'm praying. <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't want that. But... It is a struggle. When is the last time that I spent an hour in prayer? When's the last time I spent a half hour in prayer? What's next? When's the last time I spent 15 minutes in prayer? Wow! When's the last time I spent five minutes in prayer? I didn't think of that little thought there. It came from uh, Alistair Begg. <laughs> because as he said that, I go, wow. And as he said it, it was like he had experienced that too. Hmm. So it's convicting, but it's also encouraging in the sense that, hey, there's nowhere else to go than up. We can improve on that, but it's hard, isn't it? And to know that, hey, we've got other warriors here that really they get tired. Paul wants them to know the struggle he had for them. How he was struggling in jail. He doesn't even know him. He says, I want you to know this. I want you to know that I'm really agonizing for you guys. It's for your behalf. And for all of you. All you out there, I don't even know you guys. I'm really, really agonizing over this. So, you know what? 
we must keep this in mind. He wasn't just praying for people that were just immediately around him, but other people in the body of Christ. Pray for them hard. There are other people in different churches that you know they need to be prayed for. And so I think it's a really good lesson for us, isn't it? Well, where was the struggle at? Well, I think we've already mentioned that. It's in 4.18. I think it's kind of interesting to look at. Uh, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Uh, he didn't write this whole letter. I mean, penned it. He wrote it. He gets credit for it. The Holy Spirit actually does. But somebody actually wrote this down and he would write the greetings. And uh, some said that it was because of his vision. He couldn't see very good. He'd write in, in great big letters as he would have that. And he'd write on the parchment. And He says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. He's in prison. What else is happening? Well, he's chained. He's chained. The chains pop down on there. and So he writes down the greeting there. Hands it back to the guy that was helping him out as it was being written. And, and so, uh, you know, it's quite a struggle. This is not jacuzzi Christianity. <laughs> you know, Paul is taking it easy, you know, taking the, taking the baths there in Rome and then uh, gets out and says, oh, I feel much better. I'll sit down and write a letter to these guys. <laughs> uh, it's uh, not, uh, not easy. And so, no comfortable surroundings for Paul. No comfortable surroundings. He, he's a human like us. He's in a smelly, dirty, rotten jail writing these thoughts as he's struggling. You know, he could have been thinking about himself, but no, he, he's agonizing for people he doesn't know. It's not about him. Oh, that, that's a great model, isn't it? Okay, well, who was the struggle for? Well, we already know that. He says, those who are in Laodicea. And for all those who have not personally seen my face. But this is the letter to the Colossians, and he says, Laodicea. We're talking about the whole area here, the, the Lycus Valley. The three major cities there in that Lycus Valley, this whole area uh, around where Colossae was. So it wasn't just a Colossae. This is going to get around to quite a few people. That's who he's writing to. A whole bunch of people. Don't know him, he doesn't know them. Out of the three cities, Colossae was the smallest and the most insignificant of those cities. At one time it had been significant and now it really wasn't. It wasn't a really big deal. It wasn't the place to go to anymore. It had lost its purpose. But I want to tell you, God has special purposes for them, doesn't He? Special purposes for an insignificant city, Colossae, and then we know, you know, Laodicea and, and, of course, even that whole area. But I want to tell you something. God has special purposes for Colossae. How about God has special purposes for Jefferson City? <laughs> God has special purposes for St. Martin's. God has special purposes for Westphalia. God has special purposes for Freeburg, Jefferson City, Taos. Tipton and surrounding areas. My, we're spread out people. And from people who know people all the way back to Michigan. God has special purposes there. Man, we know people. They're just spread out everywhere. It would really be good to pray for all those people because they sure need it. 
And if you get to know people in here, then you find out all the struggles that other people elsewhere are learning. And you can say, I haven't been known what to pray for. Let me, uh, let, give me a pen, please. <laughs> let me write this down. be a good thing to do. We just put that right in front of us as we go into prayer. Anyway, reach out. Make a difference uh, to someone by prayer. Don't even know. Um, it's been said that prayer is like a missile. It's a missile. It's an intercontinental ballistic missile, those ICBMs. They still call them that. Anyway, I mean, we fire that up to God. Powerful. But sometimes, it doesn't even go. And that's why I say that struggle is always there. Anyway, now we've seen in verse 1 how great a struggle Paul had on their behalf for all those people. And here is his desires for those people in that church. That their hearts may be encouraged. I want their hearts to be encouraged. Um, Encouraged is para kaleo. Para, parallel. Alongside, right? Think of railroad tracks. They run parallel alongside. Um, Kaleo is the word in English of call. To call alongside. Uh, sometimes you'll hear, I beseech you, or sometimes it means to encourage. The Holy Spirit is the paraclete. Parakleo, paraclete. Call alongside. He comes in, comforts us, encourages us. He's a great encourager, isn't he? And uh, in our context, the encourage here is going to take on the sense, because of context here, the meaning expands to strengthen that your hearts may be encouraged. Well, how do you encourage? Well, you're strengthened. That's really what Paul's ministry was as he went back to churches often and encouraged them or strengthened them. So Paul and the apostles would uh, would do that quite frequently. You'll see that in Acts where they come up and build them up, strengthen them. He didn't want them to stay where they were at. You know, isn't that terrible when Christians uh, become Christians and they get excited a little bit, read the Word, and then they just stop? And they just kind of plop down and sit. And that's it. Because they think, that's all you're supposed to do. But they get a little tired. And so we need strengthening, don't we? I think that's what we're doing here this morning. We're being strengthened by, by God's Word and His Spirit. We want to be strengthened. No, we, we have to be strengthened. Listen, we just faced the enemy all week long. And we need some more strength. You know, We need to take that in. So anyway, that's the key to spiritual well-being is having increased knowledge and focus upon the person of Christ. Be thinking about Christ. That's what Paul has been talking about in the first chapter. It was all Christ. And, and I mean high and lifted up and exalted. The majesty, the supremacy of Christ has been put forth. And then he said, now I want you to be strengthened. And it's Christ who does it. We're strengthened by knowing more of Christ. That's how we're strengthened. And when we have that message, then we can give it to others that they can be strengthened. What you think of Christ is everything. What you think of Him is what your life is about because He resides in you. Through the Word, we know Christ. 
Through the Word, we're strengthened. We, we know that He's eternal. Just think about Colossians 1. We, we spoke, spoke about how He was eternal. That He is the Creator. Start thinking on Christ. Oh, wow. He's eternal. I know Him. He's my friend. Right? We say. He is the Creator. And not only the Creator, but what else does He do? He sustains us. There is no reason in the world that... Everything just doesn't explode and then that's it. Blows apart. But He keeps it going, keeps it together. He is the mystery. He is the incarnate reconciler. Remember all these terms that we use for Christ? Think high and holy thoughts of Christ. He's the very hope of our glory. Remember that from last week? Don't forget that. The hope of our glory. Now, That means in the future we will be glorified and it will be a perfect sense in every way, right? So that keeps us going. So He is our hope of glory. Now, through our view of Christ, with those high thoughts, just coming out of this letter so far, just one chapter, what can that do for us? A lot. It should strengthen us. It should quicken us. It it should make us come alive. It should shape us. So the next time things get you down, you start feeling like popping down and just say, I'm done. I'm tired. Think on Christ. Think on the beauty. Think on this Colossians 1 that we studied and took weeks on about this great Christ. Man, that will get you going. And Paul had said so much about Him so far. Dwell on those thoughts. That's what will make you strong. It will make you strengthen. It will put your focus on Christ knowing that the very fullness of God is in Him. We've seen that one before, haven't we? The very fullness of God dwells in Him. Or in verse 9, for in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. He keeps reminding them about this Christ. So he says, oh, that they'd be strong, that they would, they would put their focus on Christ, that the very fullness of God is in Christ. And He lives in me. Wow! Does that give you some strength? Yes, something that you can pull from here. And boy, if we would have that kind of prayer for everybody in this church, how much more can it lift us all up? If somebody's praying for you, have you ever felt that somebody is just praying for you? You don't know who, you don't even know what it's about, but they're just praying for you. Boy, I'll tell you what, it's nice to know. And then somebody will come up and say, hey, I've been praying for you. You might have been going through a real struggle, but you said, somehow I got through that. And somebody said, I've been praying for you for that. Thank you, right? It's great. People here, they do. They do pray for each other. It's really good. We never even hear about it, do we sometimes? Don't even know. God sure does. Now, He says, strengthen or or encourage. It's their hearts. That their hearts be encouraged. What's the heart? Now, I'm going to be quick about it. It's the very inner person. It's the inner person. The inmost person. Dealing with the mind, the emotions, the will. The Hebrew person know what the heart meant. It's talking about the very thinking and the very uh, person of who they are. Look in Proverbs chapter 4, 23. That'll get the idea pretty quick. And he's not just talking about the ticker here, right? That they have a strong heart that they could live a few more years. Watch over your heart with all diligence. Why? For from it flow the springs of life. 
Watch over what you're thinking. Oh, it's taking in the mind, the thinking, the mind, the emotions, the will. Watch over those things. Because what happens is that's where everything flows from. Jesus said something like that, didn't He? Mm -hmm. Out of your mouth, out of your stomachs, out of your insides. You're in most person flows out of that so if you're thinking the godly things then what's going to flow out of it right look in Psalm chapter 26 verse 2 this is what Paul is praying for for these guys examine me O Lord and try me test my mind and my heart it's put together there my whole thinking my whole the whole process my heart my, my everything that I, that comes out of my thinking and then you go to Psalm 139. 23, 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. You guys have heard this many times, right? Try me and know my anxious thoughts. Search my heart. Know my heart. Show me what it is. And see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. If there's something that I'm thinking that's wrong, Lord, you correct it. You try me. You search me. You know those thoughts, Lord. You're the one that can go in there and do that. That's the mainspring of our actions. That's where it's at. Strengthen in the inner man. Look in Ephesians 3.16. And that's what Ephesians or Paul says in this verse here. That He would grant you, it's a prayer for them, according to the riches of His glory, how many times have you heard that? To be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. There's the strengthening in the inner man. The heart. The wellspring. Mainspring. Acts 15.32 This is pretty cool. Judas and Silas also being prophets themselves encouraged and strengthened, this is what they did. This is ministry. Encourage and strengthen the brethren with a lengthy message. <laughs> I'd never noticed that before. Matter of fact, I read this the other day. A lengthy message. All right, let's see. What time is it? <laughs> I think I do that every week. I don't know of anybody that goes over an hour, and I never get any complaints. I don't know how I get away with it. We have a long worship. You guys know that? Two hours. But it's not very long. It seems like you're here and then you're gone. Okay. After they had spent time there, they went. They they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. What are they doing? They're encouraging and strengthening them. How are they doing it? With the message of the word of God, right? The word of God. Look in verse forty-one. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia. What? Strengthening the churches. People come believers and then you strengthen them. That's what it's about. Just keep feeding and feeding. You never get enough because we're not there yet. You can say, well, you know, I've done this for quite a few years now. I don't really need that anymore because I already, I already know that topic. I know that topic. I know that. I know that. I think I know them all. Uh, I really don't need this because I've heard it so many times. <laughs> the Word of God always, always has something fresh and new there, doesn't it? Strength. And we need to be strengthened. Okay. Next one. 
as we go into our Colossians. We're still in chapter 2, right? We haven't gone through that that quick. And we're still in verse 2. Having been knit together in love. Knit together in love. We're strengthened, and then we're knit together in love. Uh-huh. That means to unite. Knit. To, uh, to bring together. The strengthened heart is one that's filled with love. He's going to combine all these. Now you have knowledge of Christ, Right? That's what we were talking about. Here's how you're strengthened. You have Christ. You think of those great thoughts and how great He is. And what happens, then that strengthening not only comes intellectually and goes to the mind through the Word of God, what happens? Through us practically. As the Holy Spirit charges us up, then we use it as a brotherly love in the church. As we, as we serve each other and speak and fellowship in other words, the depth of understanding is actually facilitated when believers' hearts are bound together in love. You understand a passage, but once you're able to put it in action and show the love for others, and you get the love from others, right? That is being united together. Now you're having really understanding. Now you're understanding. F.F. F. Bruce says this. Paul emphasizes that the revelation of God cannot be properly known apart from the cultivation of brotherly love within the Christian community. You could be outside the Christian community and say you're a Christian and never meet in a Bible study or worship and say, well, I go out in the woods, I I go out and fish, and I worship God that way. The thing is, they have no understanding of what this Bible is saying. They have no clue what that is really about. And so therefore, everything they read, they might have an intellectual understanding up here, but they have no real true knowledge. It's just head knowledge that is worth nothing. Because if we don't put it into use, and if we don't have that kind of love that we work that has been worked in us, as we work it out, we, the best way you can show love is with your family. Family church. And so you cultivate what you understand here by practically putting it there. Do you see how that works? And so when he says that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, how are we strengthened? Well, by Christ. But then it's Christ through other people also. You notice how you get strong as you fellowship with God's people? Uh, When we're loved by other believers, we experience Christ through them. And thus, our knowledge of Christ is enhanced as earlier we said, yeah, hey, I'm loved by people. You know what? That enhances me whenever I know people love me. And we know this is not the, the worldly love. I mean, this is a God love. It's not a soft term. I mean, this is action, right? So as we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, then we, as we serve others in the body of Christ, then we have now given them love. We're showing the riches. We are now having understanding of what this really means. It's not just stuck here, but now we're practically using it and now it's a knowledge that is a wisdom that is uh, the, the wealth and full assurance and all those words that come after this here. It's a complete understanding in a loving community. To know the Word and then to be able to practice that Word. Wow. You guys can identify with that, can't you? You know how that works. 
So it comes in the head, but also the heart. It's not fake, is it? It actually works. So we must study the Scriptures with our heart, our head, and every part of us, and love His people with our heart. Study the Scriptures with your head and your heart, and then also love His people with your head and your heart. Right? So then we will know as we ought. Let's look in Colossians 2.19 to back that up. He's talking about what? Knit together in love. Knit together in love. Okay, Colossians 2.19, later he says, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. There it started out with a, something that it, it is not like uh, the, the false religions and stuff. And he says it's like this. We hold fast to the head. And, but we're held together by the joints and the ligaments and we grow with a growth that's from God. We are together. We are put together. He brought us together. Um, Ephesians 4.16 It's an amazing thing, isn't it? Don't you think the body of Christ is a mystery? It is. 4.16 From whom the whole body being fitted and held together but whatever joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. There's the strengthening and there's the love of Christ and the love of others all right there. And in John 17, and we'll move on here, John 17 is the prayer that Jesus had for the disciples and the whole body of Christ that was going to come in John 17:20 I do not ask on behalf of these alone this is a great prayer but for those who believe in me through their word that they may all be one even as you father are in me Jesus says and I in you that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. <laughs> Jesus prays for the elect, the church, the saints, us believers. Pray for us that we'd be one. Paul is praying here, having been knit together in love. That's already happened. We just want to practice that, right? That's what God has done. Uh, Francis Schaeffer, I like this. He called the unity of the church the final apologetic. Why is that? What is it? The, the outside world will know us by our love for one another. They see that and they go, hmm, I'd like to have that. Right? Yeah. The key to unlock all this is dealing with humility. Remember Philippians? We dealt with all that. So, we move on. So we have hearts that are encouraged, strengthened, and, and, and all happens by being knit together in love and attaining to all wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ Himself. Boy, that was a lot right there. I'm out of breath. Settled in understanding. We have being strengthened, 
united in love, and then having an understanding that is settled. We're not all over the map. Not all over the place. We are deeply rooted in His truth and in His love. Nothing is going to sway us that would be something that would be false or something that would be wrong because we're rooted in this. So that's what he's saying in his prayer here. When brotherly love is present and it's continuing, what it's going to result in is a profound knowledge. All of a sudden, the Word of God starts coming to life. The knowledge of Christ. We experience the love of Christ. He's working it through people and it comes back to us. And it results in wisdom and knowledge. We gain a lot. And he's talking about it's a wealth. It's attaining to all the wealth. The riches of His glory. Remember that? Wow. Being settled in understanding. When the believer experiences spiritual truth and he lives it, then it becomes truly understood. We have the Word, then we practice it. And you know what that leads to? Assurance. Now, assurance of salvation. We know we're secure in Christ because of what He's done. We, we believe the Word. And then we live those truths out. And the more that we see that, the more assured that we have. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Right? Blessed assurance. Assurance. That's what He wants for us to have. Assurance of all other truths of Scripture. That they're right too. How can I know this is right? Well, if you know Christ, you know the Word, you know everything in here is true. And it's right. You don't even doubt it. You absolutely know that. Yes, this is right. Yes, this is true. Understanding means to place together. That's the idea of understanding. It refers to biblical principles. You have truth and you take the truth. They are principles and now you live those out. Attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding. You really understand. Those principles now are applied to everyday life. It's not just a hothouse theological way of thinking. It's part of your life. It is your life. The true knowledge of God's mystery, 127, do you remember this? Chapter 127, to whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. And take it further out, the hope of glory. Ah, settled in understanding. Oh, that they'd have a full assurance of understanding. Settled at it, Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And here he's saying, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery. What is that mystery? That is, Christ Himself. He's already spoken to Christ in the other chapter, which is just a few verses back. We're still in the same context, aren't we? Christ Himself, in whom are hidden, this is a great verse, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Keeps emphasizing Christ, doesn't he? The word there for treasure is thesaroi. Ah, notice the connection to an English word there? Thesaurus. A treasury of words. This is a treasury uh, of wisdom and knowledge. It's a treasury of who Christ is. You know what? He just took a giant swing 
and hit him. It hit them. The Gnostic heresies. He just did that again. He's done it all the way through. He uses the word knowledge a lot, wisdom a lot, all these the the Gentile thinking and and uh, although there's not Gnosticism known at that time, that's really what it was developing into in right in the church, and they were using some of those Greek thoughts, right? And so he says treasures, and there's another word that they would use uh, along with the um, you know the knowledge and mystery, right? Treasures now. There are no other treasuries of knowledge. People go searching for it. Um, uh, a, a lot of different movies that we've probably seen where they go to find some secret hidden treasure. Right? Matter of fact, that's <laughs> probably a movie right there, hidden treasures, whatever. I mean, you can go on and on. You think about that. Um, but you know what? They really don't mean it. First of all, they're just made up. But secondly, even though there are treasures, there's only one treasure. The treasure is Christ. And He is the wisdom of knowledge. Alexander McLaren said this, in Christ, as in a great storehouse. Okay, he compares Christ to a, to a storehouse. Just checking there, I want to make sure that we have a lengthy message. <laughs> I like that. I'm gonna have to. Where was that at? <laughs> you know, every week I say I'm gonna to try to keep this under an hour this week. I think I, I, I did. You know, and every time it goes to be more, and I'm not trying, man. Okay, in Christ, as in a great storehouse, lie all the riches of spiritual wisdom, the massive ingots of solid gold, which, when coined into creeds and doctrines, are the wealth of the church when we understand what all these things mean, and we're not worshiping creeds and doctrines, but that shapes things up with what we believe, all which we know concerning God and man is in Him, who is the home and deep mind where truth is stored. We have access to this treasury. Have you thought about that? You can go into this infinite Wealth that you have and use it any time you want. It's there in Christ, hidden. People outside of Christ can't do that. They don't know about it. They don't even want it. Unless the Lord's working on them, and then they will. But he goes on to say, the central fact of the universe, of all spiritual truth, is Christ. He's the incarnate Word. He is the Lamb slain. He is the ascended King. All those deep things about Christ, whether you find them in the Old Testament or the New Testament where it's explained, uh, explaining our Christ, the whole mystery unfolds, McLaren says. And we are in touch with all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know what I say to that? What a treasure. What a verse resulting in true knowledge of God's mystery. See, they had the knowledge, and he says true knowledge. I want, you, you want knowledge? I want to tell you where it's at. It's hidden. It's a mystery. It's in Christ Himself. That's the only place where you can find any kind of wisdom. As Christians, we grow toward Christ, and He fills us more and more. And one said... He, more of our horizon until there is no sky. It's only Him and His riches. 
Ephesians 1, 8 and 9. Look at this. Ephesians 1. You want to see who you are? You want to get a blessing? Read chapters, chapter 1 of Ephesians. Just, just read it. You want, to, you want to go sky high? Look at this, verse 8. Which He lavished. Talking about the riches of His grace. He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention which He purposed in Him. This is all what God did. This is all His actions. While we were dead in our trespasses and sins and hated Him and were enemies and were sinners, as Ephesians later says. And he says, here's what He did to us. Uh, Ephesians 1 is incredible. Unbelievable. Where He has put us and what He has given us. Man, look in chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. Just in case we forget, Paul reminds us again, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. That's verse 9. What verse 8? To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. He says, this was given to me. He wasn't born an apostle. Christ made him an apostle later. But he was the least. He killed the saints. Well, Paul was the least of all saints. What in the world does that make me? <laughs> Not even close. But you know what? I have the same message he has. I have the same grace. I have the message of the unfathomable riches of Christ. Hidden. The word is apocryphos. You ever heard of apocrypha? The hidden writings. Writings that weren't really inspired. Between 400 and Christ. That word came from there. This was used by heretics to refer to the writings containing their secret knowledge. Secret knowledge. The cabal Jews are familiar with that the Greeks had their secret knowledge Jesus is the source of all spiritual knowledge it's only hidden to those who don't want to know the things of God we have everything the treasures that we have. We're trying to tell them and they don't want it. They can't understand that there is a valuable treasure, the most valuable that could ever be. And so he gives a warning here and we're getting ready to close this down. Verse 4. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. Are you catching this? This is really easy. He has set all this up and he says, I'm telling you about Christ and all the hidden wisdom and knowledge and about the, the love and that you be strengthened, that you be strengthened, that you're encouraged and that you're knit together in love and that you have all the wealth, the riches and the understanding. You have all of that. And he says, I'm telling you this. Here's what you have and what's coming along is going to be false teaching. And it's already there in Colossae and all over the area and he's concerned that they're going to be led astray. But if they have this stuff and they are anchored, I don't care what they come along with, they're going to say, not buying it. That's false. And I'll tell you why. Here, here's the Word of God. Here's what it says about this. The heretics could be very clever. And they are today. All the cults are clever. Man, they use fancy, nice little words and they get in there. It's highly developed. 
folks. Very highly developed. They're all over the TV. They're all over the Internet. They're all over the books. We have to examine everything and not just be attracted by the package. And the packages of the sweet words and the great crowds. Immense crowds of people are gathering because they hear things that are really sweet to hear. And we're just hearing some pretty sweet things here talking about the treasures of Christ. That's what we have to give out, isn't it? Something that they could have been persuaded by by rhetoric. Just human rhetoric. Believers need to be settled in their convictions of the deity of Christ. The sufficiency of Christ. If somebody comes along says something else about Christ that is not true, then we attack that error. We do not let it come and start making us doubt. When we understand Christ, nothing can move us. And that's the whole point, to understand who Christ is. You don't even have to go out and study the cults. It's good to know what they believe. Believe me, that's okay. It's good to read books about them. But you don't really have to study them. If you study Christ, you can find an error like that immediately. You know Christ? Now here's what the whole idea boils down to. For even though I'm absent in body, hey, I'm not there. I'm here in jail. But I'll tell you what, I'm with you in spirit. Nevertheless, I'm with you in spirit. Rejoicing, there's a key word. He's rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. He couldn't be there physically. He is there with soldiers right with Him. And He's chained to soldiers in the prison. And you know what? I think Paul who uses two military terms right here, probably could have taken uh, the reminder of these chains and who he's chained to and these soldiers and thought this. He used two words that are military terms. He's rejoicing to see their good discipline, military term, and stability of their faith, military term. What's happening? Good discipline is order. It's arrangement. It's army in ranks. You're in order, right? Each soldier is in his place. There's the idea of good discipline. They're in order. They're in good place. And then stability. Stability is a solid front. It's a battle formation. It's a solid flank. We all have our shields of faith up and they're linked to the other shield, to the other shield, to the other shield. Spiritual warfare, right? Where they're fighting with each other. Uh, against the enemy. We are with each other. Stability. Good discipline. And he says, I I, I rejoice in that. And I want to hear it even more because I want to rejoice more. He was rejoicing. He was thanking God and rejoicing that they were that way. But he wants it to be even more. Right? We close. Paul was delighted individually and collectively. These Colossians were standing firm against the tax of false teaching. They didn't take over the church. They stood firm in their faith. They were strong. They were not to be moved. And this is what brings true joy to Paul. When people stand firm on the Word of God, don't you rejoice? When somebody stands firm on something that stands for God, whether it be political or whatever, you rejoice and you say, that's coming from God's truth. So we should be desiring that for ourselves. And we should be desiring that for all of us. That's a great prayer to pray right here. For the whole body of Christ worldwide, to other churches that we know of, that they would know the mystery, that's Christ Himself, 
where all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are. Let's pray.